Yourself with Keegan Farrell. I'm your host, Keegan. Based on the card game with the same name, Ask Yourself brings us closer to each other with ourselves. Each episode, we connect with my favorite creators and change makers to share the life experiences that drive us. Play Ask Yourself Alone or with friends, buy the deck or print your own at keegankfarrell.com. Thanks for joining in. Let's start the show. This week, we'll be joined by Data Genius, oh organizer. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> okay, I'm going to start again, but just for that part. Okay. This week, I thought you read this already. Don't be scared. I did. I did. No, it's good. <laughs> I know. I'm extra. Okay. <laughs> this week, we'll be joined by Data Genius organizer with March for Black Women San Diego and Black Lives Matter San Diego, and overall badass who uses data for social change, Imani Marshall. Welcome to the show. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Keegan, <laughs> that generous ass introduction. Um, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you so much uh, for agreeing to come on to my show. Um, I really enjoyed meeting you. I'm so happy we've gotten to know each other. Yes. Yeah, so Imani and I actually met through March for Black Women San Diego. She was already uh, a badass organizer with them and I joined on um, shortly after moving to San Diego. Um, and yeah, like, I mean, the second I met Imani, I already knew like, oh, this is this is a person that I want to know. This is a person I yes. want to keep in my life. <laughs> I feel the same. I actually can you I feel like we actually started at the, around the same time with March for Black Women. I feel like maybe I had like one meeting that I went to that you weren't at yet, but we kind of started at the, around the same time. Oh, okay. Or a couple maybe a couple meetings, but not that many. <laughs> I mean, it seemed, it seemed like you already were, you know, headfirst in the deep end with all the stuff. Like, it seemed like you already knew what was going on. You were like, I'm running the social media. We're out here. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. So I feel like it was a couple of meetings, but you know what it was? Honestly, Keegan, I feel like you could probably re relate. But um, I think for me, when I came, first came to San Diego, I was just like missing like that community of Black folks, especially like Black women and fans and folks like Black folks that like shared some like core values with me. So when I found that in March for Black Women, I I like gave it my all and <laughs> I dived, <laughs> I dived in at first. So um, maybe that's why it seemed like I have been doing it for longer than I probably had. Because I was just, I was just geeked, honestly. I mean, um, Naisha, who founded March for Black Women San Diego, um, Chris and Kelsey, who are like some uh, core, and uh, and Adrian, who are like some core members um, that have been organizing like from the beginning with Syra. I mean, I just like really, really was just like so amazed by them, and then meeting folks like you and <laughs> Millie. Um, and and uh, Melissa and Marianne, who already kind of knew, uh, it was just like, just a beautiful community. I'm so glad that I found y'all, so. Yeah. Yes. Oh my God, me too. Yeah, that similar way for me, like joining March for Black Women, just being like, coming here and being like, where are the Black folks at? Mm -hmm. You know, where are my people? Right. And then it just really started with just following a bunch of people on Instagram. And then I found mm -hmm. Kelsey and she was like, I need help with this March for Black Women stuff. And she was asking for white people's help. 
But I was like, yo, I'm black. I'm trying to help on the black end of things. <laughs> and she just like was like, sure, you know, come on yes. in. No barriers. So me. So I was like, that's me. it. That's all I got. That's all I got. <laughs> Okay. just be black just be black <laughs> that's never gonna change <laughs> never gonna change oh man I'm so glad we met I'm so glad you're here um yes. so what have you been working on these days like what's the, what's the kind of stuff that you do I heard you just did a talk this last week um what was that about yeah, so um, I just gave a presentation at um, the American Public Health Association's uh, annual meeting and, meeting and conference. So this year, obviously, because of um, the pandemic, it was on Zoom. So I gave it from the comfort of my own bedroom. It's really nice. <laughs> <laughs> Except you didn't get the free pastries and coffee, right? I know. I know. But <laughs> it was a, it was okay. It was a good exchange because uh, I'm a a homebody so <laughs> um but uh yeah it was really it, I was presenting research that I've uh, that I've completed um as the evaluation and learning analyst with uh, Mid-City Community Advocacy Network and basically what we're looking at is um arrest data from 2012 to 2017 for cannabis or marijuana related charges um to basically look at how the criminalization of marijuana in San Diego impacted uh, different communities within San Diego. So basically looking at uh, inequity um, in how these laws were applied. And um, probably no surprise to anyone Black, <laughs> um, but Black, Latinx, and uh, Pacific Islander folks in San Diego were uh, disproportionately um, arrested for marijuana charges um like the the black rate in sandy san diego for cannabis related um arrest was like six times um the white rate uh for arrests wow. in san diego yeah so extreme dis extreme extreme disparities right um and so we did this research um basically because you know it's interesting sometimes doing data analysis because um, a lot of times I feel like, I feel like multiple ways because sometimes the numbers can um, give people like, um, make people feel um, more confident in speaking their own truth. But then other times I'm like, are we spending resources to just validate things that black folks have already been telling you forever? Like black people have already known this, right? Seriously. Yeah, so that's how I often feel doing data analysis. Like we're using data um, and it, at times it can help people feel like confident speaking their truth. But then on the other hand, I feel like, are we just using data to validate things that black folks have already been telling us for years, you know, decades at this point? Um, and so, so we did this report basically to inform the city council on how they should be um, distributing resources and uh, creating a cannabis equity program. Um, and so this was something that there were a lot of, um, there was kind of a coalition built with um, the org I work for, Mid-City Community Advocacy Network, um, and a lot of Black-led orgs like Pillars of the Community um, and Paving Great Futures um, to make sure that cannabis, the legalized cannabis uh, market was accessible to black folks and that any cannabis equity um 
you know, tax revenues or any funding from the state to do cannabis equity work uh, was actually distributed to the communities that were disproportionately impacted by the war on drugs um, and the criminalization of, of cannabis um, and marijuana or marijuana use. Cannabis, what the white folks call it now. Now that it's legal. <laughs> now that it's legal. Cannabis. Cannabis. Oh, but um, yeah. Oh my God. So, so that's actually something I've been thinking about mm -hmm. because with respect to all these Apple store looking ass um, weed shops, yeah. you know, that have been popping up all over California. I mean, are there any black or brown owned cannabis dispensaries in San Diego that you know of? You know, um, and not that I know of in San Diego or even the county. I, I, I don't want to speak like definitively because I'm not exactly sure, but I don't know, know of any. And what I do know is that um, there was actually a story um, done on uh, in the San Diego Union Tribune um, about a black um, a black entrepreneur that was trying to open a cannabis uh, illegal cannabis shop. Yeah, he was up and running, and then got smacked with several charges because um, basically there was some missing documentation. And of course, like when you're black, um, it immediately gets criminalized. So this person basically had to fight off charges for doing what he thought was legal, and you know. A legal way to you know build revenue for himself and wealth for his community um, and there are just a lot of barriers to black folks that are entering the cannabis market now uh, which is why part of the reason we did this research to start that conversation or continue that conversation um, and so if you're in San Diego and you care about this work or if you're anywhere and you care about this work uh, in San Diego um, there was a lot of, there was a lot more, a little bit more momentum last year, at the, towards the end of last year around this, um, as far as city council trying to move and establish a cannabis equity program. Actually, because they don't have one in place, there's actually like state funds, like that they're just leaving on the table because they don't have a cannabis equity program in place. Yeah, I know. It's a head scratcher. Um, but they haven't. Ain't nobody scratching their head. I mean, it's not a head scratcher. It's just bullshit. <laughs> but it's we know it's it's um. So yeah, so there is a, a little bit more movement um towards the end of 2019. But you know, with 2020 with the pandemic, that I feel like it's kind of that policy um that political will got a little bit um shifted. It's a little bit pushed to the back burner. But to me, I think it's important that we continue to look towards um, that because even in the in the context of the pandemic, right? Um, black people have been disproportionately impacted by this pandemic, and it's because it's because of like this. It's because of systemic racism. It's because of the ways our communities have been torn apart by all of these policies, like like the way that. Um, drug policies were, uh, drug laws were enforced um, only for, for Black folks um, and some Latinx and Pacific Islander folks in San Diego. But throughout the nation, it's just, there's all the, there's overwhelming data, qualitative, quantitative, however you want to splice it, that the, those laws were just put in place to make sure that the prisons continue to be filled with Black folks. Um, 
And so we have to reckon with that history if we want to even understand, you know, why certain communities are being impacted right now by the pandemic um, in disproportionate ways. Because we, we can't just stay, like, so many Black folks cannot stay in their house. They don't have that luxury. Um, they have yeah. to use public transportation. They have to go, to go to work and work in jobs where they have to deal with ridiculous white folks that don't want to wear masks. Like they have to do that uh, to survive. You know, black folks in in San Diego are disproportionately um, unhoused and living in public. Like that's one of the big things that I think is, um, we're gonna look back and realize it's a driving factor to why certain communities are doing better than others. It's like, we're not taking care of our unhoused folks, um, folks living in public. And we haven't, we've been neglecting that issue for a long time. And now when we're in the state of pandemic and like our folks don't have anywhere to stay, they don't have anywhere to get the resources they need to like keep themselves well and keep their communities well. It's like, of course, you know, of course our our numbers are gonna be higher than other places. Yeah, yeah. And I mean too, it's like the cannabis industry is an industry that I think has been largely untouched by the pandemic because, mm. and maybe even profited from it because mm. people are probably smoking more weed mm-hmm, mm-hmm. now that, you know, this pandemic is going on. And like, you know, if more black people had access to be able to start those businesses, right? Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a time where a lot of people are kind of stepping into an entrepreneurial role that they might not have in the past, like they might not have had the courage to before, where now they're being pushed even more in that role because of the fact that there's so many layoffs and so many people without work. I mean, people that didn't have work before the pandemic are still struggling. I mean, including myself, mm-hmm. I just started you know, a yoga business because I can't depend mm-hmm. on the job market right mm-hmm. now. It's just not, it's not feasible. So it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, all of these barriers that we're talking about for black folks to be able to start, you know, their own, um, their own dispensaries. I mean, it's, it's insane that this is like a market that is, um, has so many, so much potential mm-hmm. for, for lifting some people in our community out of, uh, poverty or just kind of like, you know, creating more opportunities for people. Mm-hmm. And it's just not there. Like you said, there was one person, that we know of in the black community here that was able to start a dispensary and ended up getting slapped with charges. I mean, Mm -hmm. what are some of the other barriers that you, um, that you know of, if you know of any, Mm -hmm. that, um, that black people have to getting, you know, their cannabis businesses started? Mm -hmm. Well, um, so because it's not regulated federally yet, um, the barriers tend to be kind of specific to like locality, city, um, or county, but, or state, but I would say that in, in all of those cases, there's some sort of, um, kind of like financial, um, there's some type of financial barrier because you often have to show that you have X amount of dollars in the bank before you can even open up a business or get, um, license, um, to, uh, to sell cannabis, uh, to sell marijuana legally. Um, and there's also, um, there's also concern about, uh, density 
of, mm -hmm. of even legal cannabis, cannabis dispensaries in certain communities. Um, mm -hmm. And oftentimes um, there's even in San Diego, I know specifically there is, I, I think the current legislation, there's like a certain radius around um, schools and churches that you can't have a cannabis, a uh, legal cannabis dispensary. So if you're in a black community, um, there are a lot more storefront churches and even, you know, other communities, um, Latinx and Pacifica under Asian communities. Um, there's lots of storefront um, places of worship and there's just like a lot of, of schools and it's just densely populated. So even finding access um, to like actual storefronts that you can legally open a dispensary can be hard. And then if you want to move out of your community to open a dispensary, um, then it's just, it just can get so much more expensive. So then that's another financial barrier. Um, but those are kind of two that come to the top of mind for me. Mm -hmm. That makes sense too. And I kind of wonder if there might be, you know, um, issues with suppliers as well. Mm -hmm. And things like that. Like I know, like with the hair industry, like black owned, um, hair shops mm -hmm. will often have trouble sourcing, you know, hair products or certain types of like, just like hair in general, yeah. just because of anti-black, you know, suppliers. Mm -hmm. So I'm kind of wondering if there's a little bit of that there too. Cause I used to live in Santa Cruz and up in Santa Cruz, there's a lot of people, uh, growing pot in the mountains up there in Scotts Valley. And, one little known fact about Scotts Valley is that there's an active KKK chapter mm -hmm. up there as well. Mm -hmm. So I remember I actually used to, uh, at one point when I had like very little money, I was working for free for a nonprofit as part of my field study. Mm -hmm. um, I had taken some extra work trimming weed mm -hmm. up in the mountains up there. And when I tell you how scary it was driving through those mountains, um, just wondering if I was even gonna return oh from gosh. the job that day, you know, I <laughs> just like. Yeah, no, I, I feel that, catchy. yeah, no, I can only imagine. And I am sure, I am, I, I'm sure that there are probably, you know, cause there's anti-blackness everywhere, um, that oh, yeah. there's probably, uh, that probably impacts how like relationships between suppliers and dispensary owners. Uh, I can only imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like we have, I, I feel like, um, you know, this whole, like this whole, the legalization of marijuana, especially in California for sure was completely touted as a way to right the wrongs of like, the war on, war on drugs and its impact on um, Black communities and other communities um, that are systematically oppressed. Um, but if we're implementing it, the way that it's being implemented now is just like a get richer quick scheme for um, a lot of really wealthy white folks. Oh yeah, totally. Wealthy white folks who are probably selling weed before all this and weren't being policed exactly. for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Oh man. And you know, I mean like the, a great, a better solution, you know, for the impact of the war on drugs would be to, you know, reverse people's charges or the effects of people's charges oh, sure, yeah. or releasing people from prison. I mean, it's like the answers here are obvious, but it's like, these are things that our country 
is not necessarily willing to do for no. whatever reason. Well, we know the reason, but they profit off. I mean, it. it's too profitable. Yeah, it's too profitable. Same same reason why we continue to have so many people living in public because it makes us money mm-hmm. to have that. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, they could just run me my reparations like was uh, like nice as all the time. Like just run me my check. Like honestly, that's the most that's like the original right sin of this country is slavery and um, you know, stealing land from the indigenous peoples. And like until we do that, this whole democracy in air quote <laughs> democracy thing that we're supposed to be doing it's never really going to pan out because it's how can you have a democracy built on stolen land with economy that is built on, you know, stolen people and stolen lives. Like you you can't, like, this is just, just feels like a farce. And I feel like we're really coming to, we're all having to come to terms with that right now. Cause like, it's just staring us in the face. Like, so like bluntly for I think a lot of people that had their eyes closed and their ears closed for so long, but it's always been there. Like this thing has always been, has been evil, you know? So we have to really like, I feel like we have to do like that foundational work. Yeah. I mean, you know, half the people are maybe more of those people who just barely open their eyes and ears to the situation already closed and back up. Mm. They're back to, you know, putting on their Lululemon and, <laughs> Going to the Pilates class and not the Lululemon. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I pronounced it wrong. But Who cares? You know what? That shoe's expensive. I, Who knows? Okay. <laughs> Honestly, and they be having women out here with their whole ass showing because they don't want to use enough fabric to cover somebody ass crack. Like I really have no respect for a company that will put people through that, for real. especially after spending you know, upwards of a hundred dollars for a pair of leggings. leggings. (laughs) For real. So, I mean, I'm not out here to like bash Lululemon, whatever. (laughs) This is the anti-Lululemon episode. (laughs) That's going to be the title of this episode. This is the (laughs) anti-Lululemon. Lululemon or liberation. You can't have both. (laughs) You can't have Oh my God, Imani. <laughs> I miss talking to you. It's been a minute. I know. It's been a, oh my gosh. So what else you got coming on the horizon? Any new projects you working on or, you know, what, you know, what you, what you up to these days, you know? Well, one thing I definitely wanted to mention is, um, I, like we already talked about before, like I'm really grateful to be in so many communities, so many different communities now with like dope black folks that are organizing um, and then one of the communities that we're both involved in is March for Black Women San Diego. And we still have our Black Women uh, Deserve Fund going. Um, and we are right now kind of pretty soon we'll be uh, finishing kind of this first batch of folks that have applied um, and reopening the application. Hopefully, um, please follow us on social media to learn more about that. But um, we really still need donations because honestly, our whole our whole kind of mantra is, you know, that Black folks deserve what they ask for as much as we can provide it. You know, we're not operating off a charity model. We're really trying to do this off a mutual aid model. Um, 
So the more of like financial flexibility that we have, um, the more we can really um, help the black folks, the black women and femmes that are requesting support. Um, so please uh, find us on, uh, on Instagram at M the number four, then BWSD uh, to find our, any, our cash app, our PayPal, our Venmo um, and donate there. And I don't know, uh, Keegan, can I give you the, the cash app Venmo and PayPal and put in the, the notes for the episode? Yeah, okay. I'll put those in the show notes okay. so that people know where to send these coins. Yeah. And also, you know, I mean, if you're a person listening and you have connections to larger funders or you work for a large funder or you just know of people that would like to let go of larger amounts of money, um, especially people who are looking for tax breaks, um, please contact us um, or contact me. Um, I'm also at at Dangerous Black Woman, uh, one word on IG. And then we have at M4BWSD for March for Black Women San Diego. So yeah, Um, hell yeah. Um, Actually, for those of you who don't know, like Imani is a big instrumental part of even just getting these funds out to people. Like for me, like I've been uh, doing a lot of like calling folks Mm -hmm. and like helping get them set up to get money. Um, But Imani has been the one, one of the ones out here, you know, actually sending the funds and y'all don't even know like how anti-black some of these like financials are, how hard it is sometimes just to send people money. Like you send somebody $3,000 and then they're like, "Oh, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. No, you can't just be sending people money. Yeah, they're like, what? what are you doing? This must be illegal. We're shutting this shit down immediately. Like the serious, the algorithms are anti-black y'all. Like you guys have no idea. Like all these, the algorithms that are in place to protect us from fraud. They're also not really, um, they're not really written to understand like that what mutual aid is or to understand that mm-hmm. like even how black folks you know black folks i feel like have always done mutual aid uh, whether or not we call that that or not but just showing up for your community um in a like a really genuine way and i think that these like white institutions like financial institutions do not understand that and so they're like there must be something fishy going on uh so yeah, the, as as if you can support it any way, like it is really helpful. And a hundred percent of our funds go directly to to black women and femmes that are that are in need of support. Um, so yeah, anything that you can give will be will be helping our our community out. Um, and another thing I want to quickly plug is um, one of the beautiful people that um, were instrumental in both Keegan and I's involvement in March for Black Women is Kelsey uh, Daniels. And Kelsey has started a new initiative called The Sit-In. The Sit-In um, meets every Tuesday um, on, on Zoom, <laughs> of course, <laughs> because this pandemic is real. Um, but next Tuesday, they're going to be doing... Um, election aftercare for black folks so there's going to be they're going to be playing games and they're also going to be giving out um black joy uh stimulus checks uh so just financial support for black folks um who just need some support um during and after this election 
uh, to use however the hell they want. So if you want to donate, um, please find them at uh, the sit-in SD. And if I'm wrong on that, Keegan will fix it in the show notes. I think that's right. <laughs> yeah, I think that's right. I think it's a sit-in so. SD. Um, yeah. But yeah, they will be, they've gotten a lot of um, requests for support. So they're working through that. And if you haven't gotten heard back from them yet, please be patient. But um, please follow them at the Sydney SC to find out one, how you can donate, or two, if you're a black person that is um, overwhelmed by people telling you to vote, like you don't, like we don't always vote and vote what in the best, in the best way for this fucked up country, um, or you just want to like chill with other black folks, and um, or if you need some uh, support. Um, please like connect with them and reach out. So those are kind of the two things I want to to definitely lift up and that's going on. Like there's so many dope black organizers in San Diego that are doing awesome work. So I just want to lift those two things up real quick. Thank you for lifting that up. Jordan's <laughs> lift not here, so. I know. <laughs> I was just talking to her this morning too because we were doing our... Um our Spanish lessons. Uh-huh. Everybody here knows, knows Jordan from, from the last episode. Oh my God, um, that episode was so good. It was, <laughs> it was, she's so fun. Um, but I guess, you know, I digress. We should probably yeah, move sorry. on to the game. <laughs> um, so let's see which, so, you know, because we operate um, from the consent model here, I asked Imani if she would rather pick a card on the spot or figure it out ahead of time. And we figured it out ahead of time because that's how we roll. And, you know, honestly, I'm starting to think that that maybe might be a better model for all of my episodes, um, just so that everybody's prepared and like not like triggered in the moment. But (laughs) anyhow... Let me see if I can find this question that we um, that we picked. Where was it? All right. So the question is: Describe a time you were afraid of people discovering who you really are. So when when I oh gosh, so when I read this question, I immediately thought of like my first two years in undergrad. Honestly. Um, <laughs> I went to a small liberal arts school in the Northeast. I don't know if I should put them on blast, but they've already been put on blast by some youth black students. But, um, but like, while like, I mean, all these colleges racist, they're so. all trash. Um, but <laughs> while, um, but like, while I like loved my classes and stuff like that, like socially, I just was so, I was I was just sad, y'all. I was sad. I felt isolated. I felt like I did not belong. And I think um I think that I think that I find like a lot of people that have struggled with like um depression and any in its various forms like you isolate yourself further. Um and I felt like uh and I did obviously didn't have this insight while I was doing it but upon reflection afterwards after like getting out of it getting help I think it was because I didn't want people to see me like I didn't want people to know like all the things that were going on so I just shut down further um didn't really like I would do things but I did things like very I like chose like activities or things to get involved with very strategically 
Like with people, I feel like that subconsciously I knew I didn't really click with. So I wasn't like there was going to be a personal relationship that had to be formed. And it was like definitely things that were like to keep me busy. Um, but not like in a way where I had to like really like divulge anything about myself. So, mm-hmm. but I think uh, after like, I kind of realized what I was doing and things kind of came to a point where I was ready to like seek out, like talk to someone and get support. Um, I was able to build a community that was like very, like continues to be super important to me um, in my life, even though we're kind of all in different places. Um, And I think that's also why, like when I came to San Diego, it was so, it was super important to like build that community again really quickly. Um, And I was really glad when I like met people like you, Keegan, other folks involved with March for Black Women San Diego. And other just like amazing, a lot of amazing black women and femmes that have just like been like people that I can immediately connect with and feel more comfortable like sharing more of myself with. So yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, what is it about college that like makes people so freaking depressed? Oh yeah, because it's an oppressive. Oh, oh, um, oh yeah, white supremacy. It's like <laughs> oh, white supremacy. That's why. Oh my god, because if you're not like super rich going to college, like it's actually really, really hard to struggle so through horrible. it. Horrible. It's because people be going to class like hungry and shit. Yeah, like, hungry. I w- I went like. I'm like laughing, but also it's horrible. Like I, I went like a whole semester without glasses. And let me tell you, I cannot see without these, without these joints. Like I didn't have glasses. Oh I didn't have contacts. I was like sitting in the first row of like my orgo um, lecture, just like squinting, trying to see the board. And this is like organic chemistry where you need to like know what the fuck is going on. Cause it's a lot of just memorization. Um, oh my God. Yeah, then I finally asked for help and they were like, oh yeah, you can apply for this one and this one and it'll help you get glasses. But, you know. It's messed up too that they don't let people know that these resources exactly. exist. And then there's people whose, whose family have like for generations gone to college and they know how to game the system, scam the system and get hella yeah. shit for free. Yeah. And then it's people who don't have shit that don't even realize that they can get yeah. help I li- to get glasses. I think I went to like the, the like, uh, campus clinic for something else and was probably squinting at something and the 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 nurse was just like do you need glasses <laughs> and I was like yeah but I ain't got no money right now and then she, they were like okay we got you so yeah but yeah anyways college is just um the worst in that way because white supremacy but seriously uh, well, I guess, you know, I got to answer the same question. Okay, yeah. so what's, your, what's your answer, Keegan? I swear, this this question actually comes up for me so many times in my life mm-hmm. because, like, you know, in, like, the struggle to survive capitalism and stuff, right? Like, for Black people and Black women especially, like, there's a certain amount of masking of your true self that kind of has to happen mm-hmm. in the hopes of seeming respectable mm-hmm. enough to be employed, mm-hmm. right? And so that's something that I've definitely like dealt with a lot, like, you know, in my academic career, um, 
you know, I'm a person that has a master's degree as well. So like I've spent a lot of time in college being kind of told that who I am is not good enough. Mm -hmm. Right. And, um, you know, I come out of it and I'm like, okay, so I have to hide my social media presence or who I am online. I have to hide the fact that, um, I have a passion for pole dancing Mm -hmm. and I have to hide, um, the fact that, you know, I have a very irreverent sense of humor and that I am very much pro-black and anti-white bullshit, Mm -hmm. white nonsense. Mm -hmm. Um, You know what I mean? Like, and so I realized that like, um, you know, trying to hide those aspects of myself also did not help me to gain employment. So at this point, I'm like, well, if it's not even serving me to be invisible, then I might as well just live my life out loud. And, you know, hopefully that'll also help other people feel like they can live out loud or, um, you know, feel inspired by that. Also, like maybe that will also help me find the place where I'm supposed to be, Mm -hmm. right? By, By openly engaging in my passions and pursuing my creative pursuits and all of these things out loud in public. And then, you know, maybe the right person that is looking for somebody like me mm-hmm. to work with them mm-hmm. is going to find me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I figured, you know what? Yeah, I guess I'll do that because I mean, you know, hiding in the dark has not gotten me any coins, mm-hmm. zero coins that has gotten mm-hmm. me. Because the problem so- <laughs> was never you. The problem was always them out there. So seriously, I mean, you know, I mean, black people are, you know, last hired, first fired. Yeah. This is what we know. So, and even then, like a- acknowledging like my light skin privilege, you mm. know, it's like there were times where I've thought about like, okay, well maybe if I just put on a straight wig in my LinkedIn photo, like maybe I'll get at least an interview, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, or like there's all those people that talk about like they straighten their hair for the interview. And then like afterwards they let out their phone. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like, gotcha, bitch. <laughs> you thought, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. I don't know, man. But Anyway, I, I'm not straightening my hair for no one. I am trying to protect this curl pattern. This is what I like. We love to see it. Uh, we love to see it. <laughs> I did not spend all this money on this product for years. Right. They know, that's the part they don't know. Like, friend, I'm not doing the fucking shit up for you. Do you know how many hours I spent on YouTube? On the, in- <laughs> <on> the interwebs? <laughs> Studying, studying, studying learning. Do you know how many times, how many hours it took to put these braids in? Like, I honestly feel like Black women are entitled to like special vacation time that's specifically for us, like handling our hair situation. Friend, that needs to be on someone's fucking platform. I love that idea. Like, I will. I mean, yeah, yeah hell yes, we do. Because this is time that other people don't have to spend. I mean, we don't either if we like shave our heads and stuff, which was a good time in my life because I had so much free time. But I enjoy having hair, Mm -hmm. you know, and a lot of black people are, you know, expected to, you know, look a certain way or be presentable to a certain degree at work. And that takes time, Mm -hmm. takes time, energy and money. So we should have extra funds in our paycheck Mm -hmm. to pay for Mm -hmm. the expensive products that we have to Mm -hmm. get. And also, you know, extra vacation time because we're spending our weekends, you know, mm-hmm. braiding our hair or doing whatever else needs to happen. And that shit takes hours. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. One of my one of my coworkers in like um, our team update uh, talks about getting her locks done. She got her hair locked. Well, really, I was like, "Go, your hair looks amazing. You got your hair locked." And um, she was talking about the experience, and she's basically spent like I think twelve hours or more getting because she has a lot, a lot of hair. Um, and also the person was playing games, but of course we know this black, black, it's a part of the experience. Um, (laughs) we love it. Um, but yeah, so, but like everyone that wasn't black was just like, (gasps) and then we're, I was just like, "Mm -hmm. yep. Makes sense. Like they have no idea. They have no idea the amount of time that we spend doing this and then they reach their hand their hand out to touch it it's like how you gonna mess up my hair i just spent hours on my hair and you just gonna rifle your fingers through it messing up my style like i don't think so the amount of times that i've that i've had to do this and just like look at somebody just had to do the do the neck roll trying to avoid a hand like friend we're not friends Like, and even if you were like your friends wouldn't do that. I don't like, know no. where your hair, hands been. I don't know you like that. Mm-mm. Oh my god! I swear. Yeah, that happened to me recently uh, with somebody who was a family friend of my partner's, mm. and it's like you don't even know me like that. Like we're barely acquaintances, and I had just gotten done twisting my hair. It was fresh. It was still wet. It hadn't even dried. And she comes in here like the disrespect. And I was like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like literally that came out right away. Like just what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, don't touch me. The disrespect. And she you want to hear what she said? She said, I just, I just wanted to know what it felt like. It feels like fucking hair, Susan. That's what it feels like. That's what it feels like. It feels like hair. It's not. Oh my god. Bitch, you don't you are not entitled to know what I feel like, okay? The only person that's allowed to know what I feel like is my partner. But first of all, you should have asked. And if you had asked, I would have said hell to the no. So that's that's that on that. Gross. Don't fucking reach for my hair. But anyway, I mean, this is a conversation that black women have been having since the beginning of time, you know. Yep. Anyway, so where can we uh where can we find your research, Imani? Where can we find the fruits of your labor, the fruits of your genius? Where can we find your research? Oh gosh, you I love you. You're so generous. Um you can find it uh at midcitycan.org, but I will give you the exact uh link and um we can add it to the show notes as well because it's a little bit hard to find on the website. Okay. Cool, cool, cool. That is good to know. And also for those of you guys who forgot, or just to remind you, Imani is a part of March for Black Women San Diego and Black Lives Matter San Diego. Uh, You can find those on Instagram at M4BWSD or at BLM San Diego, or is it BLMSD? BLM San Diego. BLM San Diego. And then you can add me on IG at Dangerous Black Women. Also, uh, you can feel free to ask yourself at home. You can get your own deck at KeeganKFarrell.com. You can purchase or print it out yourself. And also, you know, you can answer the question in the comments. I'd love to hear from you here about your experiences. Uh, So thank you so much for listening. And I can't wait to get closer with y'all next episode. Thank you so much, Imani, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. We'll have to have you back again. I would love that. All right. Well, thank you and take care.